This is CliffCentral.com. Hey, what's up, uh, all the listeners out there? Cliff Central, I'm sure you enjoyed yourself with Somizi and Ellen. They had very interesting topics, as they always do. But right now, it's time for Black Life with me, Dimisho. Uh, and I'm by myself in the studio today because my partner in crime, on RBC, is not feeling well. So please, if you're a praying person, pray for him. And I hope that he gets better soon. In the meantime, though, I do have a guest in the studio. And if you are somebody who's interested in business... Well, you come to the right show. If you're somebody who's interested in property and infrastructure development, then you're definitely, definitely listening to the, the right show today. And, and it's so good to be here. Um, I'm hoping that it's going to start raining soon. Yesterday, there was a call on WhatsApp and social media that at 9 p.m. in the evening, we're all going to get together, get on our knees and pray for some rain because it's really been hot, man. My grass is dying. And it looks like it might just rain today. So I, I certainly hope it does. But in the studio with me today, I've got Ntlantla Mtobi, Executive Director of Equate Africa. How are you doing, my brother? Uh, let me just make sure that you are with us. Hey, <laughs> you know this thing. How are you doing, man? Fine on yourself. How are you, Tomish? I'm very good, man. It's good to have Great you in stuff. the studio, man. Yeah. Um, so, Ntlantla, you are Executive Director of Equate Africa. Yeah. Uh, and you're only 29 years old. Yeah, I am, yeah. I think so. <laughs> Last time I checked. <laughs> you have to think about that. Why, man? Is someone no. listening that you met at a club somewhere and, and maybe you told them you're 25? No, no, shit. I said I was 35. <laughs> oh, I see. I just want to make sure. No, I just checked. How, how did you become an executive director of a big company like uh, Equate Africa, which is, uh, I believe it's a, is, is it, is it a, a property development company? It's actually a quantity surveying and uh, project monitoring company. For okay. For the property and construction industry. So how did, how did it come about that at 29 years of age, you find yourself as an executive director of a big company like this that is not only in South Africa, but it also has uh, stretched itself out over the continent of Africa as well and is just continuing to grow? Well, um, I'd like to say it was a BE appointment, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. That, that stuff actually works. Yeah, well, it works. <laughs> but um, okay. we, three years ago, myself and two partners um, ventured out on our own. Mm-hmm. Equal partners, we decided um, we wanted to buy our time back. Yeah, we were working for a great company, but I think our time was more important. We wanted to venture out on our own, and that's what we did. Um, and we started Equate and okay. purely focusing on quantity surveying. Mm-hmm. And later on, the project monitoring project monitoring role came in throughout some of the countries on the continent you know the guys want the man with the money must monitor the project you know yes whereas in south africa you've got a dedicated project manager which is which is good you know Mm, mm, so mm. yeah that's how we started this company and bit by bit we grew okay for the last i'll say three years yeah and we've been at it ever since what made you have an interest in quantity surveying. I know that there are a lot of people out there who are quantity surveyors, but I've always thought of the, you know, the role of a quantity surveyor as someone who literally counts the bricks. Yeah, we do. Yeah. <laughs> literally. <laughs> so you're like the accountant of a building project. Yeah. Financial management. I try to put it that way. Okay. I think when I was, um, when I was applying to varsity, mm-hmm. um, I'd, I've always wanted to be an architect. Okay. Or be in the built environment. Mm. But I thought, Architecture is a bit risky, you know. Someone has got to give me a chance to design this massive building, and yeah. people would love me. So I shelved that idea, uh-huh. and I said, "Okay, I'm going to be a civil engineer." Okay. And then I failed physics, and then I was depressed for five days, you know. Yeah. And then, as I was applying, I still did physics, by the way. Mm. But mm. as as I was applying for varsity, um, I had three options: construction management, property studies, and quantity surveying. Mm-hmm. And I called a friend of mine. And the friend says, imagine your child at school, a toddler. Yeah. And they ask, what does your dad do? What sounds best? Construction manager? Yeah. Quantity surveyor? Mm. I said, yeah, well, quantity surveying sounds good. Yeah. But that's like but, that question of, of what sounds better, being a plumber or being a doctor? And quite frankly, being a doctor sounds much better, but plumbers earn more money. You see, so <laughs> I, I decided quantity surveying was my first choice. Uh-huh. And I guess I just stuck to it, you know, and I've never looked back. I think it was a stroke of luck, mm-hmm. fate, if you ask me. Um, even my character, I went, I went for tests after that to find out, will you suit your career? And? And it came out right, you know. I was that, in the right career path and and, and I enjoyed school. What did you study at um, this quantity surveying? I studied at WITS. I was at WITS okay. University, yeah. 
And I was there. I'm an alumni. I love vets. Nah, vets was Were good, you on man. West or East Campus? We're the intelligent people then, right? That's East Campus. Yeah, isn't it? yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, funny enough, I did. Um, I studied in one building my whole life, almost. Okay. John Moffat Building. We yeah, did like the engineering eight, building, right? Uh, we did all our subjects there. What's where the construction school is? Oh, I yes. see. I see. But we did um, subjects on. <clears throat> West Campus. We did did you venture school. out and try and meet other people at Vits? I mean, did, did you enjoy your time there? Cause yeah, yes. I, I really love Vits. I, I lived at Res. So yeah. Which Res were you at? David, Men's Res. David Webster. Oh, David Webster. Yeah. I, I like I like to mingle with people. Yeah. You, know? I you like to, to be, be around females, right? That, uh, I, I don't want to say that, but I okay. like to mingle about right. people. Yeah. Men's Res was a little bit like uh, going to Sun City, and and not the resort <laughs> in Rustenburg, <laughs> but the one in Naturina or is, is Protea. Yeah, Naturina, that's right. I, I forget. Uh, I haven't been there in a while. Uh, and, but anyway, so you decide you want to be a quantity surveyor and you yeah. go at it. It is a four-year degree, am I correct? Four-year with honors. Yeah. So I got in and I didn't want to spend as... I didn't want to have... How much of ma- how much maths do you have to do or, or accounting within quantity surveying? Look, quantity surveying is a subject in its own. Okay. It's, it's a totally different type of accounting and Talk to me about that actually You know Because yeah. we all pretend We know stuff Like I pretend yeah. I know What quantities of veins about But yeah. I'm realizing I, I know very little about it Talk to me about it What exactly is Is it from your point of view About it You know I think It's it has evolved Through the years You know mm. it's, it's now more Back in the day You'd say it was more Quantifying a building Making sure Everything was there And putting a number to it And then you slog away At this stuff You know Detailed And all of that but over the years, you've become more financial managers. Ah, so things change so fast. For example, in the last couple of years, what people do is do what they call fast-track projects. So by the time you start a project, not all the information is on the table. But the by budget the time is you fixed. start. Yeah, so you but start. But the budget is fixed. But the budget is there. And now your job is to, to manage make, that money. It, well, it's to make it fit. And it's not. It's to manage that money so that the project... You see, you look at... Quantity surveying, I like to look at it in three pillars. Mm-hmm. Time, value... And quality Okay So money is interlinked To all of that yeah. If you're not on time You're going to lose money Of course If the quality is Not good You're going to lose money Lose money You know And if the value Which is the feasibility Of the project okay. Doesn't So you always need To build value mm. So you Like um, I'll give you an example You You build an office Block late Yeah Already you start Losing value In payments Your project costs more But your rentals Won't go up From your tenant Hmm. So if you're going to make a 10% return, you start making a 9.2% return because you delayed by eight months. Because the tenant won't change their rent. Of course. value has increased. Ah. So you need to balance those three pillars. So, so you guys are quite important on any construction site. Um, yeah. you know, I, I've got people that I know that are in property development and, and I've seen with my own eyes how expensive it can be, especially when you're building the big stuff like malls and that sort mm. of thing. And people have to move in. That's yeah. your tenants. And, you, as the property developer, are left with the bill. In fact, you pay your tenants if they haven't moved in by the date you promised. That's a penalty. I mean, you, you can imagine when you open a shopping center and people like Edgar's shop right, they plan according to your schedule. Mm. So what they do is they, they plan their logistics. Ah. So they'll, of course. they'll say, on this day, we are opening in Midrand. The shelves have to be packed. The shelves have to be the, packed. And then the, you tell them, guys, I'm a month away. So you disturb their logistics. And when you go to, so you need to house some of their stuff. If it's Edgar's uh, or non perishable goods, they will say, okay, we're going to get a warehouse where we're going to store this stuff and you're going to pay for it. But there's penalties for late. Um, okay. Arrivals. But here's the thing, right? I mean, a lot of, a lot of people who, who have an interest in property usually look at property from the point of view of being attracted to it because of the stories we hear of the property developers and they want to be those big guys, you yeah. know, um, the century property guys, the, you know, I'm trying to think of the, the, the billion group sort of guys yeah. like Sisang Um, is, is quantity surveying still seen as, as a sexy, uh, uh, gig? So to speak I don't know You know There's a, there's a lot of guys work, Who are doing it mm-hmm. um, Maybe some people think it's Could we write sexy. a soap Around about around quantity surveyors No you couldn't <laughs> <laughs> we, The only soap It would be a horror movie Because right? Many guys don't like it You know 
um, the only people that love us are the developers when you get in within budget and you do whatever. But you miss that, do you? So how much of a, of a struggle is it? Um, I, I take it you're kind of the middleman between the property developer and the actual guy who's doing the construction. Yeah, I, that's, a, that's a perfect way of putting it. Yeah. You must be fair on all, party, okay. on all parties. Yeah. But, you know, you, you always hear a lot of stories of the construction people in South Africa, the guys who actually build the buildings sometimes get it wrong yeah. uh, and they take longer than expected. How much of that falls on your plate? I think sometimes it's... Um, not much, you know, okay. um, because when you start a, pro- a project, you must have the money must be in place and the time frames must be in place and the contractual obligations on both parties must be in place. So when one party fails, something must kick in. So let's say a project takes longer than expected. Chances are there's a problem either in the delivery, you've, the person executing the project okay. is not qualified to do it. Mm. So he's taking longer than expected, than norm, let me put it. Or the money runs out, that it doesn't flow as per the cash flow. What would make the money run out? I mean, I I assume that when you're building, especially with the big projects, you've already got your finances in place. Or do people sometimes go into a project hoping that more money will come as they go along? You know, it depends. I'd like to classify, there's, there's two types of clients. There's the state and then there's private development. Oh, Lord. Now, let's talk about the state for a little bit because, you know, a lot of people, well, let me not say a lot of people. Let's say some people and one or two that I know have gone into construction mm. and they've, you know, gotten some tenders from the state and have actually gone bankrupt. How often does that yeah. happen? It, it happens a lot. I mean, it's uh, it's just the payment systems that happen, you know, mm. in, uh, within the state. The state is a great employer. Don't get it wrong. Yes. They've got the, the best. The best work comes out of them. Mm. Let me say, because it's continuous, it's everything. But the payment terms just aren't working. They just haven't gotten into a cycle where you're paid regularly for the work done. So they want the work to be done, but they're not willing to pay you on time. Mm. And I think that's the gap that we just need to correct, you know. Okay, how does, how does, a, how does a business, especially a business that is fledgling, that's trying to come up, uh, yeah. On the rise, get around that because you're right. The state is a great employer, and in fact, for us to really sort out economic development development in this country, we really need the straight the state to get behind yeah. young black entrepreneurs like yourself. How do you how do you get around that? How do you make it work? You know, it's a in bit difficult, opinion. you know, because you almost need to have the money to do the job up front. Almost, where are you going to get the money from? But that's where the problem is, you know, is that. I always talk with my mates and I say, the one thing that as black entrepreneurs we need is a bank of our own. Mm. And guys say, what do you mean? I say, we don't need barriers. You need to be able to walk into a bank for black people and say to them, guys, I've got a tender to build a hospital, Mm. 50 million bucks. My bridging capital that I need is 15 million bucks because I'm always going to be three months in advance. So you almost give a government three months 90 days right Breathing space That kind of that, that is kind of what it takes For you and to get your invoices paid. Thank you So now You must go to that place And say I want nothing All I have is an appointment letter And my qualifications And my team Vet my team mm. Vet the appointment letter mm. That's it They shouldn't ask for collateral They shouldn't ask for anything They should just say Buddy We are a state bank Or whatever bank it is We, mm. we back black people mm. This and surprises me that you, 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 you would have that in your industry. I mean, what you're doing is you're building something that's real. Yeah. Um, it's tangible. You mm. can uh, basically tell what the value will be. I can understand. In mm. our industry, entertainment, I say I'm going to come make a movie. I can't really tell you exactly how many people are going to watch that movie, yeah. right? And the fact that you would still struggle with that, with your qualifications, with your pedigree, and the fact that you've got an appointment letter. Yeah, they won't give you the money. They'll, they'll ask you, okay, we need collateral, we need this, we need that. So you might as well just walk into NetBank. Mm. You might as well just go back to the same guys. And who are going to ask you the same exactly. question? So the state needs to actually say to themselves, there's a bank for black people. We want very little. And you know, the guys who do it well is people in America. You know, America's got a rule. We'll back any idea. Mm. Because one in a thousand ideas will employ a thousand people. Mm. Mm. I mean, you back someone like Apple. Yeah. yeah. Imagine that crazy <laughs> idea. You, you get know. what I'm saying? So the government needs to say to themselves, okay, guys, look, we're not all going to make it. But let's back the guys who are there and doing it. Imagine they had backed someone like, uh, you know, the guys who started Facebook. Yeah. Listen to that concept when it first started. We're going to do... 
um, a website because that's what it was back then yeah. to start off with. Uh, that's about social media, a word that was just being invented. Yeah. You know, and basically what people are going to do is they're going to post their pictures that they've taken on their phones <laughs> um, and they're just going to say something interesting. Yeah. But you see, that's that's where they I'm not a big fan of saying government must dish out this and they must dish out that for free. But those loans, of course, they are payable back because the government will pay you. Mm, they'll pay you at some point. At some point, they'll pay you. But that loan must be free because okay. you mean you must be free to get the loan. No, no, the loan must be, you must be able to prove you deserve the loan. Yes. Which is, you've got the appointment later. Can you do the job? Yes. The loan must be free, interest rate free, and you must be given prolonged periods of time to pay. How, how will that kind of financial institution make its money without having to pay? It's government backed. Okay. That's it. Um, that's an interesting point, but you know, as far as we know, banks make most of their money from charging us crazy rates of interest that compounds. When you look at a bank, right? I'm not a mm-hmm. banker, but I'm saying that type of facility should be an offset of the main core duties of a bank. Mm-hmm. So they make money in other sectors. But to promote infrastructure development, they're saying, okay, guys, say for six months, it's an interest-free bearing loan. Okay. They give you the money to start on site. And then after 90 days, hopefully the cycle kicks in where you're paid mm-hmm. every mm-hmm. month. Mm-hmm. And you'll pay back the guys the loan. And, and, and maybe, I mean, you know, cause there'll always be bank charges on that payback of the loan. But for six months, at, they shouldn't. At, at a certain point. They shouldn't. I'm, I'm trying to figure out, I mean, if I'm playing the devil's advocate, I'm trying to figure out where these guys are going to see the value in terms of making money from actually, this. Actually, let me, <clears throat> let me be blunt and say it's actually not a loan. It should be a grant payable. Okay. I yeah. see. A loan makes it looks like it must be paid back with interest. It must be a grant, but that's just to promote. How do you think we're doing in terms of, um, you know, when you go to the IDC, the DTI, all these great places, uh, uh, NYDA, NEF, they seem to be doing all these amazing things like grants, the jobs fund. Is, is that really working for entrepreneurs, do you think? Did that work for you? Maybe the question should be, how did you guys get to where? Three years. You started this business. You needed some financing, I'm sure. Oh, well, look, the, the lucky part about us is that all you needed was a computer and your brain mm-hmm. and go to clients. So it was more for running cash flow. So that came out of our pockets. Okay. And so we could easily maintain that and one or two alone or so that would help bridge a month's gap or whatever. But that's payable. But we never went to any of those institutions. Primarily because they don't fund you when you're in your first two years of trading. Mm. So they, when you go there... We're talking about like things like the jobs fund. Yeah, we're talking they'll, about they'll, DTI, they'll ask you, okay, give me... Give us, give us, give us two years worth of financials. Uh, well, I started last month. Hmm. Out of the door already. Yes. So these funds work, but they work. And there has to be a minimum turnover for most of the funds as well. You know, so, and then you must employ a certain number of people. Hmm. And when we start, you know, we were just three of us. We didn't employ, we employed ourselves. How can you? There's How no cash you? to you employ other cash. people. So those, it's a bit difficult. And that's why some people say some of these institutions, are worse than going into APSA or NetBank or FNB. Why is that? Because at the heart of it, the principle of what they're trying to do is they're really trying to be better than your ordinary financial institutions. They're trying to help the black mm. business person get off the ground. But there seems to be a disconnect somewhere. But then you're going to ask for the same conditions as the bank. Okay. That's why earlier on I said it must be a grant. You must have exceptional rules in these institutions. Mm. So, for example, Timish and Chantler go and we've got a deal. Mm-hmm. All right? We want to build... The next Michelangelo Towers Everything checks up There shouldn't be any more work done after that They should say gentlemen These are black people Property developers We're going to launch them Mm, mm, And they must mm. back us Yeah And they back us with the money And if need be Any resources we require Yeah Yeah Because you know I mean I was looking at a jobs fund invitation and, And then I went through their criteria And basically if you come up with an idea, it has to be, first of all, a new idea, not an existing idea. And then on top of that, the minimum that they'll back you with is 10 million rands, but at a one-to-one ratio. So that from that 10 million, what they mean is they'll give you five and you must go raise another five million. You know, when mm. you're starting out, You've got no money. where do you get five million? You don't have an asset base. As, especially if, like, as, as a young black entrepreneur, chances are you're not going to have a, a, a property or a home that's worth five million because you're starting out. Yeah. And, and, and cars and, 
and, and a whole investment portfolio that comes up to five or six million that you can use as collateral. Where do you get that other five million rand? You see, this is this is where the disconnect comes in. Is that you create these great agencies with these great intentions, then you put in rules from a bank. You mm. don't change the rules. You must put in the rules that, that are, are different. different. Yeah. And the only way you can do that is how do you get the black guys at an advantage is the first thing I would say is get rid of the collateral requirements mm. because we don't come from a base of wealth. None of us do. You know? No, no. You, you know, you're usually the first millionaire in the family in, in the neighborhood if you make it, you know? you know, and that's a big if. That's a big if. So remove the biggest barrier of them all and that is Getting give started. us collateral. All right. You know, the bank must be able to say, if you fail, we want to rescue you. How did you do it? You know, you say that you guys started for three years. And in three years now, you have a whole bunch of offices, um, not only in South Africa, but also in the rest of Africa. And and yes, you, you do say you just worked off your laptops. But three years is actually not that long a time, especially when yeah. you, in retrospect. How did you guys manage to, to grow so quickly? You know, I think maybe we're hard on ourselves. I don't think we have. I think we've managed to plan our lives very well and plan the company very well. Whatever country we work in, we go in, we find a local company that does quantity surveying or financial management or engineering and then we form an associate office there because there's nothing like local knowledge hmm. and you don't want that South African arrogance to say, I know better yeah. and you're going yeah. to fail. Okay. And many guys have made that mistake. Hmm. So we find a company that does similar things to us and we partner with them and then we form an associate office there. That way we can spread our geographical spread. You know, we can expand much quicker. We don't have to physically lay out money into yes. these offices. Okay. Maybe resources now and again. But with that is we said to ourselves, where are we going? Where is the, where is the continent going? I mean, South Africa has got its big players, you know, in our, in, in our field. Mm. It's got a no boys, boys clubs. Yeah. You won't penetrate them. Yeah. I'm sure the, the big five have got <laughs> quantity surveying companies that they use. Again and again and again They're not trying to give new no, players a chance Exactly, even though you come up You'll not do anything that's too different mm. All you'll do is maybe unlock better value Yes But they're not willing to listen to you So that's why we decided Okay guys, look, our target markets We chose the countries Stable economies That we know the potential is great So you're looking at Ghana, Togo, Kenya, Nigeria Cameroon, Tanzania, Zim. Botswana, Zambia. So we, we took a stab and said, guys, mm. what do these guys do? But it's a lot of work because you must research on these countries. You know, you, yeah. you take uh, an example of, I'll say, Cameroon, for example. Yes. You just, just go in there. It's a francophone, but you must understand where they come from, where they're going, how stable they are. Yes. Mozambique, where they are, where they come from, what they're doing now, mm -hmm. how is their future looking? You know? So... That is, that that's the type of research we did, and then that's and then we started working towards getting into those countries. Okay, and and how difficult was it? Was there, did you find any resistance to coming in, especially as South African players, where the countries themselves were thinking, oh, it's you guys again, and you're here to, you know, try pull the wool over our eyes, think that you're better than us, and that sort of thing. No, not really. I think the the biggest part is you must you must understand who mm -hmm. is. Um, who is doing the developments in that country? And then you target that person. So you know that Dumisho is busy in Ghana, for example. You don't go to Ghana directly. You go to Dumisho first and say, Dumisho, in Ghana we can do this. So you have to go to the guys who are actually pushing that infrastructure yes. in that country to come and hire you to assist them there. You don't just get into the... I mean, where would you start if you just land If you just there? land in Ghana, I mean... You don't know Accra, where to start. Where, where do you, who do you talk no, to? No, you need to understand who's building there. Who, where is the infrastructure going in Ghana? And maybe this is an obvious question, but how do you find that research? Do you literally go on Google? No, not really. It's uh, industry, industry yeah. connections. I meet you today at a function and you say, look, we're looking at an opportunity in Sierra Leone, you know. And then you, I say, what are you looking for? He said, no, nah, there's this X, Y, Z. You say, okay, fine. We can help you there or there, you know. Mm -hmm. And if, especially if it's a country that we've earmarked to go into, then we can easily pull out a few, some data for you, help you quickly on a risk basis yeah. to, 
try to gain your confidence and then we take it from there. But if it's a country having earmarked up, we won't touch it. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's very important. Too risky. Okay, we're going to take a commercial break. We'll be right back. And when we do come back, we're going to be talking about more things in terms of property development. We're going to get it like really interesting with residential property and, and, and talk about how to find the best value when it comes to residential property. Don't go anywhere. I've just landed a big Pan-African contract. New ICT infrastructure isn't as easy as it is in South Africa. How can I give my other offices the same capabilities? You need MTN Business Cloud, powered by Microsoft Technology. Our hybrid cloud solution offers on-demand computing resources, reduced infrastructure costs, and service across our global MPLS network covering 23 countries. Isn't it time you found out about the cloud solution built to build African businesses? Welcome to the new world of business. And we're back. You're still listening to Black Life with me, Timisha Masha. Today, I am flying solo and quite enjoying myself. I'm speaking to Ntlantlam Tobi, um, and he is the executive director of Equate Africa. Now, we were talking about going into Africa and doing business there with, with you, Ntlantlam. And, and you were saying that, you know, it's about networking. It's about knowing the right kind of people and also about going out and doing some research on that. A lot of people have a lot of fear when, it, when they are from Southern Africa about going into into Africa uh, in the north. How did you guys get around that fear? I think it's not a fear. I think it's, um, I'll be honest with you, I think many South Africans, I don't know if you always hear them, they'll say, yeah, we're going into Africa. And I always tell them, but where are you now? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it feels like we're at the bottom of Africa, you know, not only geographically, but even, I suppose, spatially and and emotionally, you feel like you you are cut off from the rest of Africa outside of the Sadek region because of the distance in a way, you know? Not really. I think it's uh it's like it's like Americans walking here and saying, Do you know Jacob from Kenya, you know? Yeah. They it's, it's it's almost an ignorance on our part. I suppose in America though, I mean with the with the size of their their country and the you know, almost like a continent the size of that country, you can just drive from New York to LA. You can't necessarily just drive to Nigeria. Yeah. Yeah, I, I understand, but I think you know, for for us, it's uh, we don't we don't fear going into those countries, mm. and it's it's exciting. You know, you're going to you're going to do something different. You know, you're not going to repeat a Michelangelo in South yeah. Africa. People have seen it. So if you do it again, they'll say, okay, fine. This one it's day. like, can you imagine going into a place and you're building the first shopping center? You mm-hmm. know, <laughs> I mean, did you know that sounds crazy? Somalia got its first ATM two years ago. No, so I mean, this is where. The opportunities are vast. You know, I mean, you go ask anyone who's traveled on the continent, they'll tell you five star hotel in South Africa or in, let's say, in Sadek region and a five star hotel in West Africa. I told, I, it's chalk and cheese. Mm. So, can you imagine taking a five star quality product yes. and putting it in Togo? Yeah. You, you, you're upsetting the market, you know. You, okay. But is that what the market is looking for? Because, yes. you know, when I go to places like, you know, I was in Ethiopia not so long ago, um, Algeria, you go there and, and you kind of get a sense that sometimes um, that the way they're developing is not the same. And, and, I, and I'm not going to say better or worse because mm. I'm not putting a judgment on it. But what they're looking for is not quite another, like you said, a Michelangelo or mm. another Stain City or another Santon City. Yeah. They seem to be looking for something that is uniquely their own as well. Yeah, but you know, John, to me, I'll say one thing. Mm. The people all over the continent want quality. Okay. They are tired of quality is quality. No, no, no. Quality is quality. Quality is quality. And that's quality. what I'm talking about. Yeah. So the quality is the same, right? But what they might yeah. be looking for is different. And I suppose that's where you come in because you can offer that quality, but still be creative enough to, to bring in something that's different. Yeah. You know, you must, you must create value for the man building that asset, but that asset must be a quality asset, mm. you know, and the people on the continent want that quality asset and don't get it wrong. They have the money to spend. Yes. You know, they're usually spending that money in Europe though, or, or with European firms. Am I correct? Exactly. So the guys, I'll give you an example. So the guys fly to Dubai for shopping. Mm. Why can't they do that at home? Yeah, exactly. Because the facilities aren't there. And what we are saying is we want to be in the forefront mm. of actually being part of the developments that bring these assets to these people. Yes. And we are saying as well that Let's not let's not undermine them. Let's not take inferior products there. Yes, that's very important. Let's take Monroe's Ark and let's yeah. put it, you know, yeah. in Gambia. Let's put it in Gabon. Let's give. Why them not? That. Why not? Yeah, 
You know, the guys are, and once you put those things up, people feel good about what they have, what they own. There's a sense of belonging. We had a very interesting conversation before the show started, and I want to share it with our listeners right now. And basically, we're talking about you look at certain developments in South Africa, especially residential property, and you say to yourself, well, a thousand square meters just to buy the land in this particular residential area is going to cost me five, six times more than if I was buying it literally next door. Yeah. Um, and that's because there's a certain value associated with that, right? Especially when it comes to property and development. Mm. How do you keep that same type of value um, around the continent? Because, you know, when, when I go to cities around the continent, here, for example, I'll, I'll take Joburg as an example. Mm. There are certain centers where you, your value is almost guaranteed. You know what I mean? Because I can't just come along and decide I want to, I like where you live and I want to build next door to you, but I, I just want to build like a, a small four roomed house if I can, <laughs> or, or an RDP house, or maybe just yeah. put up a shack, which I don't know. I mean, and I'm not saying this anyway in a negative way, but you find that in Africa, maybe we're a bit more democratic about sharing of land. And uh, right next door to this amazing five-star hotel is almost a shanty town. Yeah, you know, these are just town planning principles. Okay. And undoubtedly, South Africa is organized. Mm-hmm. South Africa, Zim, Zambia, those, these are organized places. They've got town planning Measures yes. and procedures and what must go where. Mm. What we find as we go, we put up some of these developments and we plan these developments is there is no town planning scheme. I see. For an entire city. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so when they, when you, when you can't tell Timisha, you can't do this. So if Timisha buys that land, he'll do whatever he wants to do next door. Yes. So you must have rules in place to say, these are where all the warehouses are going to go. Yes. That's it. That's it. You can't build a church there. No, yeah. no, no. And you can't build your shack there. You can't build a home there. Yeah. Then you must then, over and above that, say, this is a residential development. But what South Africa has gotten right, maybe not right, but they have managed to get, like the, let me put it in a blunt way. Please do. The <laughs> complexes that we have have got rules. So we've managed to control each other mm-hmm. over and above the laws that happen. Ah, I see. So you're talking about... Um... So you get it. Because we're all scared, these complexes have mushroomed. Then you get the sectional titles, and then you get these body corporates. Yeah, the body corporates are very powerful in South Africa. Exactly. So now, (laughs) over and above the law, they actually tell you what you must build. I mean, they tell you what color you can paint your house. You see, so... Where I live, you can't just decide, you know what, I'd like to add a a, a room, or I'd like to change the paint and do something really wild. They'll be on you in no time. If you and I went to Nigeria, Mm -hmm. in Lagos, we bought a piece of land, and and we put in those rules. Then we can control the development. I see. But over and above that, the state must come with what we call an urban plan. An urban plan. An urban right. development plan. Yeah. What goes where, where the city is going, where the city is growing, how to decentralize people and all of that. That's very important because then everything else works around that, right? In terms of That's your it. transport infrastructure, water, electricity. Everything. Are those, you think, some of the challenges that we sometimes face um, in rural South Africa, yeah. southern Africa, um, as well as in the rest of Africa where you find the infrastructure is not working the way it should because we didn't plan for there to be warehouses next to a residential area. So that we yeah. can't get enough water out no. to you guys. We can't get enough electricity. The transport infrastructure yeah. is never going to work. But, you know, I, I, I say this to a lot of people that ask that ask that question, and I say when all these cities were planned and all these towns, Joburg, Midrand, all of them, they were not planned for you to be there. Do you realize that? Mm. As a black person, you're not meant to be. Yeah, there. I mean, apartheid really started the exactly. first town planning. So that, and it, we continued with that scheme. Yes. It even gets worse when you get to the continent, mm. where cities are planned for 40,000 people, and there's 5 million people. I mean, you go to mm. Mm. Kinshasa. You go to all these places. These places had a migrant system of 100,000 Belgians, 100,000 guys from Europe. You know, so mm. you can't plan who were living the life. Living the life. So now you've got independence, there's urbanization, you're getting more educated, everything is now centralized in these small cities. You can only imagine what chaos you create when everyone comes into town. How do you how do you change that? Because like we have it now. 
Okay, yeah. we have that, that, that challenge. Yeah. And we need to go forward. And actually, we can't go backwards in terms of the kind of laws that we had when it came to colonization mm. and, and as well as apartheid. Because you can't now say, oh, sorry, poor people, you can't live here. And in fact, we, in Africa, we've got to think differently and we've got to accommodate those who are less financially able to live closer to where they work. Mm. Um, and yet not lose the value of property and things like, especially when it comes to residential property. Yeah. Or any sort of office park that you were talking about earlier that, that you're trying to create for wealth uh, mm. creation. How do you think we can get around something like that? You know, that maybe South Africa is not a good example. Okay. But what would be a good example? Actually, no, South Africa is. You need to decentralize business. You know, if all of us work in Santon and in town, all of us will want to come in there at the same time. So the we best thing to, you have to do is You have to get there at 8 Yes, so now what you must do is You must then give incentives To decentralize some businesses So for an example Let's take What's the biggest uh, company here in Santa You say NetBank Your yeah. head office mm-hmm. We'll give you such incentives Move to Heidelberg Make sense? So what happens is Naturally speaking 15,000 people that work in NetBank Mindsets change What do they do? Those are the many people Work with a long term view they yeah. move to Heidelberg. You okay. develop Heidelberg because okay. you're decentralizing that. But in many African cities, mm-hmm. what's happening is, for an example, people don't understand that, you know, Abuja was built after independence because Lagos was too packed. But now Abuja is still packed. The idea is you need to decentralize these old cities. But we do as human beings have a sense of centralization. I mean, it's yes. still continuing now. That's Every pocket Especially, I mean, I live in Joburg and I've lived here for a long time, but I find yeah. that there'll be a pocket. You know, before Santon, there was city center, the Carlton. Yeah. That's where it was centralized. Then a couple of business businesses decided, let's move out to Santon and see what happens. Boom. Suddenly Santon is this big area. Yeah. Four ways is becoming congested. Mm. Midrand has become a huge. But you see, you're, you're only in the same region. Mm. What you must do is when it's, when you decentralize is you must take businesses, huge um, card pullers away, completely away. Completely take away. them far out of the city. Completely. You said away. Heidelberg. I used to work in Heidelberg. It takes an hour to <laughs> exactly. get there. But why don't you develop Wittbank, for example? Mm. Why don't you develop Newcastle, for example? That's a good point. Why don't you? What would you do there? <laughs> no, you, you do <laughs> Let's exact. say you develop Newcastle. What did they have in Newcastle before? What's the traditional industry? I think it was was it coal mining. I'm not sure. Yeah. But now that there's not that much coal mining, what what happens now? Are we going to have services? Are we going to have yeah. more banks? You see, what happens is you, you must give incentives to people mm. or to business. So, for an example, you and I have got a business, and if I say to you, anything you manufacture is tax free, if. No, no. Yeah. Every anything you manufacture is tax free. Okay. Your income tax is not going to be twenty eight percent. It's going to be ten percent. Uh huh. So I give a business incentives that hits directly into the pocket. Mm. But, but then I, there's one catch. I say move your business to Newcastle. And I say when you go to Newcastle, all your employees, I've put in the infrastructure. <laughs> yeah. I've put in the infrastructure yeah. for you. I've done X Y Z. Do you realize that you're a businessman? It sounds great, but I can I can assure you I'll be traveling up and down from Newcastle because my wife is not going to go there. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't see them having great spas and no, no, shopping but, centers. But those things come with the demand. Of course. So what of you course. do is... I think what you're saying is a very good idea. You must actually. create the demand. Mm. And the shopping center will come. The only way to create that demand is exactly like you say, right? Yeah. Because suddenly you've got all these people. You've got people like you who are mm. quantity surveyors doing well. Now you've got people in banking. You've got this... Big influx of upper middle class, I suppose, if you want to call it that, for lack of a better word. And everyone else who are working class suddenly has work. So they can afford to go and buy at that pick and pay. That's it. Um, They can afford to go to that mall and pay for the parking ticket. It's not a big deal. Now, suddenly, everyone's got work. And if you want to build a concert hall and invite Casper in your vest, he will come. Because there are people who've got money to pay for his ticket. That's it. And that's why you find that in the last 10 years, let me say... Between five, six years ago, mm. there's a boom in shopping centers in rural areas. So every rural area you go to, there's a shopping center now, put on the ground. That is exactly what the guys are doing. They yeah. went, those areas were never serviced. No, they weren't. Exactly. So everyone traveled from Pulukwane. Pulukwane was the hub. Yeah. So everybody from Sanin, you know, from mm. Modimole, mm. all these people mm. went to Pulukwane to shop. Mm. And the people from Pulukwane went to Menland Park in Pretoria. You know, so now what happens is, you put centers in these places. These people are contained where they are. Now you develop from that. 
Yeah. Now they can shop at home. They don't have to take a taxi drive for 30 rand mm. back, mm. you know. Mm. Mm. You're keeping the money within that economy. Mm. And, and that, you're growing that economy. And that's where we should be concentrating, not just South Africa, but as a continent as, as a, a con- whole. continent wide, right? Because we've got the highest rising middle class. Mm. And middle class will search for the best things. Yes. As long as your money can buy it, you move there. Okay. So, why don't you create the environment to work, live and play? Instead of in your area, instead of running to the capital city. I've always said, you know, I think the the biggest thing that South Africa needs, and this goes continent-wide, but from my point where I am in South Africa, is decentralization of everything. Mm. Because Gauteng has become this big, massive center, a magnet where everyone goes. Um, Now, Durban is the same in KZN. Cape Town, I suppose, is the same for Western Cape, Northern Cape, and even Eastern Cape to, Mm. to a certain extent. So within these maybe nine provinces, we've got certain major centers that constantly become more and more developed uh, to the detriment of the smaller centers in those provinces. Mm -hmm. So what happens is if you live in Mtata in the Eastern Cape, you always have to drive to East London for everything, you Mm -hmm. know. Um, And as a result, Mtata itself never really gets to develop to the level of being East London so that you never have to get your your best people actually leaving exactly. these smaller towns and, and leaving you know not only a gap when it comes to money but even expertise. Exactly. But that's exactly what I said to you now. Yeah. Is you need to go to the source. What are the people chasing? They're chasing opportunities. Who controls the opportunities? Capital. So what what does capital want to do? Capital wants to grow. And the only way capital will grow is how much do we make more next year? Yeah. Reduce what you're taking away from them. The, what the government control is policy and tax. That's all they can control. Mm. So mm. if you keep everything the same in Mtata and East London, the guys will say, why should we move there? Mm. So what you do is you must create the environment that the guy, Dumisha and Kanka, own this firm. And we say, you know what, if we move to Mtata, we're doubling our profits. Immediately. Immediately. Let's yeah. move. And, and it's great because like, you know, if you buy a Range Rover there, well, actually, there are a lot of guys with very interesting cars. <laughs> but basically, they're not as many as, like, yeah. I'd say in Joburg, right? So we'll have, we'll be living it up, man. Exactly. So you provide the service. Shopping at the mall every day. Yeah. You, and then you, everyone moves. Yeah. Remember that when the employment is there, people will be there to work. Exactly. Yeah. So and you must take the employment today. And that's the biggest thing I suppose that's so, why We're all going to these centers Because everyone is just Looking for employment And a better life Which they didn't find From where they come from So exactly. that's why they're forced To yeah, move Exactly Now put all those structures In place where they are And they'll stay there How important People always go on about infrastructure People always go on about development How yeah. important is development When it comes to our continent I mean like from a From a real point of view Talk to me like I'm you know, a five-year-old. Let me let me let me let me say one thing. I heard the best line I've heard all year. Yeah. Infrastructure development is what I would call a social service. Okay. So infrastructure development, your water, these are basic rights: mm-hmm. health, education, water, sanitation. Mm. Infrastructure development follows the water, the sanitation, and without that. Basic social development, infrastructure development. Cannot happen, right? No, no, no. You cannot protect democracy. Why? Ah. Once you protect those, those those things are interlinked. If you provide the basics well, democracy flourishes. Why? Because there is no need. What you start looking for, you're not starting from a zero base. You are looked after. You know if you're sick, you'll go to hospital. The education you're going to get is good quality education from a social system. The water you get, the sewer you get, the road networks you get. The electricity you get. All of a sudden, naturally speaking, you start building to be better. You stop fighting for the basics. You stop fighting at a water pump, at a tap that you have to share with a thousand other people every morning, right? If democracy can protect the social services sector. Uh-huh. Everyone starts being better You start trying to protect What you have And if you've got nothing to protect Democracy falls apart I like what you're saying Because basically then You're basically stopping revolution You're, 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 you're basically stopping people Burning everything down but Because they, they don't want to burn down That, that power mm-hmm. plant They don't want to burn down That, 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 that sewage plant or, or break it Because they it want provides to. life Yes You know you, you, Instead of starting from a zero base All of you are sitting at 4 out of 10 
Everyone, exactly, off the basics. Now, once you're at that level, you start to become better. From your point of view and what you just said now, yeah. where are we going in South Africa? Or in fact, where are we? Not even where are we going. Where are we right now? Because it seems like we don't have that. Uh, democracy in many ways, I think some people might say is under threat because there's service delivery protests. Um, people are unhappy about the yeah. basics. Some of them you can blame on the government and some of them are just what is. We, we're in the middle of a drought right now. There's no yeah. water. Well, you know, there's, there's three things that we all need to look at and we need to blame three sectors. One, you need to blame the government for the speedily delivery, let me say. So we have an idea, but we're not doing it in time. Why is that? What's going on? Oh, look, it's, it's also in the capacitation of these people. Okay. So you go to any municipality that's, that used to have four engineers. There's one junior engineer. That, that human being physically cannot deliver on what mm, he has to do. Mm, mm, mm. And yes, cater deployment has worked, but it has failed the majority of the time where Party loyalty has to run a municipality. A teacher has to run a municipality's finances. That doesn't work. So we need to correct that thing. And I think the guys are coming around with, you know, the, the, the people in power have realized it and I think they'll correct it. The second part is you mustn't forget that South Africa inherited an apartheid system. No doubt. And I think most of us like to brush it aside, but that we like to, we like to forget because we hope that we don't have to deal with it again. Again on apartheid, really? I want to give you an example of ESCOM that people don't realize. And everyone comments. I like these liberals who comment on Facebook and they've mm-hmm. got this stuff. You know, ESCOM, when ANC took over, 94, firstly, the country was broke. Yeah. You guys have done well. ESCOM had about 80 billion in reserves. Do you know what the guys spent 80 billion on? They didn't spend it on generation of power. Mm-hmm. Why? The people didn't have the power. So they spent it on transmitting the power. So now today, South Africa is 90% lit. From 30% in 94 So 80 billion is gone And someone says Why don't you build a new power station Why would you When the people Generally don't have the electricity Oh so, so start with Giving them the electricity Then we generate and more And then we generate more So But You're right. everything has happened that way And what people forget is uh, During those Until 94 Like literally Until 94 mm. Even electricity Was a privilege For black people Because ESCOM was not built for us to have that electricity. It was like, okay, the rest of you, that like three million of us will build wonderful electricity that will work all the time and, and we'll forget about the rest of you. And now, now suddenly it's a, it's a democracy. Exactly. We, we don't have the power, the capacity. And that's where some of these service delivery protests are coming through. Is that we've continued some of these legacies that we fail to actually go down, understand them and say, guys, this thing wasn't done well. Mm-hmm. And, Unfortunately, you know, when it's time for politics, our people say, we'll give you X, Y, Z. But naturally speaking, is that it's, it's physically impossible to do all these things in such a short space of time. You know? Mm. So, mm. and, and then I'll say the third part that while we are here is that genuinely we, I think we're self-entitled people. We just need to get up there. And that's a tough one. Eh? And do the work, you know? You're right. We, we do need to get up there and do the work, but I, I find that sometimes, that whole self-entitlement mentality, it's easy to blame the others for it. But I think we all have it. Why? Because you've come to a point now where you're like, I want to live that life that I've always aspired to, that was kept from me. Can, I, can I correct you one thing? Yeah, Please. Um, I was traveling. School me. Was, By the way. Uh, I was traveling uh, <laughs> and I met, uh, I met some guys. They said, you know, the rest of the continent mm-hmm. fought for liber- for, for They fought liberation armies. Yeah. They fought for the land. They fought for oil. They fought, they fought for assets. And they say the South African people just fought for a white man's lifestyle. That's all you wanted. <laughs> okay. So when you, when you just said that, I just, it just popped up my but head that's now. True. No, I'm sorry. We got TV way too soon. Maybe they should have kept it from us because you're watching TV and going, I'm living here in Soshanguve. Why can't I have that? Like what, what's to stop me from it? I've got everything in terms of the brains. The ability and the desire to do it, but there's these laws that that stop me from doing. Now we take those away, and I'm like, hey. But you see, that's where the focus. That's where we need to reshift our focus. Yeah, you actually fought for much greater things than material things. Mm. You fought for control of your own home and Mm. your destiny. Yeah, and once you once we start believing in that, I can guarantee you now the self entitlement will walk away, because the next thing guy says, yeah, but I'm not earning fifteen grand. 
Why? I deserve it. No, mm. you don't. Have you worked hard enough? Mm. Have you mm. studied enough? Mm. Are you qualified enough? Mm. Mm. It's not mm. your right. Yes. You know, there is no work with wealth without work. It's, mm. it's dangerous. Very. It's very dangerous. And that's, mm. for me, we need to correct those three things. Our attitudes, we need to acknowledge the apartheid legacy. Let's not push under the cup and then you hear someone saying, this government is useless. It doesn't deliver. It doesn't do that. It no. only it always comes up later yeah. on in terms of we brush it under the carpet and then it comes out and bites us again. So I think what we've been doing as South Africans is brushing it under the carpet we're for 20 years. Yeah, we do. We're and then every now and again, we're, we're surprised. Why are the students burning things and they're so angry and demanding free education? It's like, but actually, because we brushed a lot of things under the carpet. Why are people demanding water and sanitation mm, exactly. and electricity? Well, we brushed it under the... We didn't say, guys, let's just sit down and have an honest conversation and then discuss how we're going to fix things. And you know, you're not going to do it as a government alone. No. When all the money is controlled in the private sector. You need to bring everybody together yeah. And have a frank conversation And say guys For example the education system Without an education an Educated population No industry will work So all the guys who are making money in the industries now Have actually got a vested Interest in education How are you going to tap them in their brains To say gentlemen those artisans Those engineers, those doctors, those CAs They won't come through the system To help you in your businesses to make you make more money yeah, yeah. So for that You must fund their education mm, mm. So you must go to the source You know You try to do it on your own You don't make it Well I, I just can't believe That I'm talking to such a young man uh, who, Who's got so much wisdom And uh, it's been amazing talking to you We've got to go now But a couple of people Have written to us On uh, our WeChat And Kaya uh, has said I always find it funny When prospective clients Request a building design And they have examples Of these Dubai sky- skyscrapers and uh, with no budget. And they ask, can you make it cheaper? Do you get that a lot? No, they, we <laughs> say they want, a, they want a Rolls Royce, the Taz budget. Exactly. So we'll build something in between. We just put rims on the Taz. <laughs> just put rims. <laughs> and a great sound system. Yeah. It's been great talking to you. I've had a great time. I hope you guys have had a great time as well. Thank you, great. Andrew McNally, for writing to us and telling us that uh, you're enjoying the show as well. Uh, catch us next week, same time, uh, same place uh, on Cliff Central. This has been another edition of black life it's been a pleasure talking to you man and, and i certainly Thanks wish you all the me. best and i hope that you succeed the reason why it's, it's it's my own selfish reasons actually yeah i hope you do really amazingly well because of the things that you just said now someone like you doing really well can only make this country and this continent much better so we wish you well, all the best guys. thank you thank you what's the aim you know we need to do well good stuff well we're out of here we'll see you again next week bye bye this is cliffcentral.com